Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. How are you? I'm good. Long time no talk. (laughs) It's been moments. (laughs) Um, We took a whole lunch break. We sure did. And welcome everyone to Sweet Tea and TV. I don't think I welcomed anyone on the last episode. Hey, (laughs) y'all. I think it makes them feel more like part of our circle if we just assume they're here. You're always with us. (laughs) It's It's probably true on some level. I think we're probably always thinking about the all of this. I think that's right. All of this, all of you. Just nothing. Just a love fest. I know. It My feels goodness. like there should be a song to that. All of me loves all of me. So not an original song. No, I didn't say <laughs> oh, an original okay. song. Okay. I, I thought we were There is a song. song about this. Why reinvent the wheel? You know, <laughs> just repurpose. Repurpose, copyright, violate, move on. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Oh, that's nice. And I sang less than 10 seconds. That's <laughs> It's a magic number. It is. Um, so I, you know, before we get started talking about this show, I wanted to um, share some things that I'm binging lately. One, because there's actually all three of these shows have had Southern things that have made me. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah. Think about some like um, either maybe things we could talk about in the future or just we can talk about it right now. I guess it depends on how much there is to mine here. Uh, but the first thing. Like, I had watched some really serious things, and you know how sometimes you just need, like, a palate cleanser? Mm-hmm. So... That's what I call my entire TV experience is a palate cleanser. <laughs> I think that's probably right. <laughs> uh, it, that's good, though. That's good. I mean, because it is, like, a time to... Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I got to bring it down sometimes. Um, but I've been watching Bling Empire. <laughs> oh, you know what? I've seen an episode of this. Yeah. It showed up on Netflix, right? Yep. Yep. It showed up on my like recommended for you. And I was like, fine. Yeah. It's, it's like the Kardashians for me. It becomes a slippery slope. So I've never watched a full episode of the Kardashians. It's a uh, like probably because I know deep down I can really get sucked into almost anything. Um, but I couldn't help myself. I actually there's so there's three seasons of the initial show and they all take place in LA. And then the one that just dropped this last week was in New York. Okay. And so I started with the New York one. Uh, I don't know. It just caught my attention and um, I, I zipped right through it. Oh, wow. I I loved it. I think I like, it is a fun, casual watch. I mean, there's some serious moments. I mean, these are people's probably lives. Um, I mean, you never really know. It's like life adjacent, probably. Yeah, you never really know. But for those who haven't seen it or haven't, it hasn't come up on their um I just queue. keep kicking my mic over here. I'm sorry. That's okay. Kick away. That's what you just saw happen. It's like, oh, it's falling. That's no sorry, problem. guys. That's no problem. You just get comfortable. Um, but for those of you who don't know what Bling Empire is and you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, this is like from... Netflix. It's about insanely wealthy Asian and Asian American fun seekers who go all out with parties, glamour, and drama in Los Angeles. And like I said, there's also the one in New York. But I don't know. I think the these uh, casts, uh, both casts, are, are full of people mainly who are so rich that it's just mind-boggling. And mm-hmm. I do actually think that they pull this together based on the success of Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just like, I, I can't help but be intrigued a little bit by the, um, whether it's the fashion piece or, uh, the extravagant things that they're buying or like the way that they, they had a party for a baby who turned a hundred days old. That was definitely like way nicer than my wedding. (laughs) Like definitely. (laughs) Like most assuredly, but, and so anyways, it's just like, it's getting a snapshot into someone's world like that. Um, I think is something, I don't want to say magical, but like, it's just something so nice that we have today. We would have never had like insight into like that echelon of wealth lives not really maybe like gossip columns or something like Mm -hmm. back in the 19th century or whatever but I think it's I always am surprised at people's surprise that people love shows like the Kardashians or like the Real Housewives Mm -hmm. I'm always surprised by that because I think it taps into so many things yeah one you know what you just mentioned like TV is an escape 
So it taps into that for people where they're like, yeah, this is just like, it, it's, it's almost fictional in a sense because you cannot imagine that life. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like these people aren't real, but somehow that tinge of realness is also intriguing to you. Mm-hmm. And so you sit there, at least I do for like, however long I'm watching the show thinking like, oh, you know, if that were me, I'd be brushing my teeth with my toothbrush I bought at Kroger, but they got it from some fancy Hollywood. That's a terrible example. Or like I would be driving my Nissan SUV and they're driving, you know, the most exclusive Bentley there ever was. Or like Casey came in and he was like, is that baby wearing a coach onesie? Right. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. And you know, that segment that I did recently on most expensive toys. And one of the most expensive toys was rumored to have been bought by Beyonce and Jay-Z for Blue Ivy. And that to me is like a level of, I can think of toys I played with as a kid and they weren't like that. So to me, having that almost voyeurism or voyeuristic sort of perspective on a very, very wealthy person's life crosses fiction and nonfiction and it will drag you into Kardashians. I'm not kidding. I have not watched an episode um, in a really long time when they released their new series on Hulu or wherever it is. I did watch that first episode and it just felt a lot more highly produced than previous episodes had. So it felt more fictional to me than it ever had. And that's way less interesting. Mm -hmm. I have a lot less interest in watching something that's all made up. I really want to see their lives. Like I really want this to be real. Um, And the old version felt more like that. I'm not kidding you. Before we we had kids, I would turn it on like uh, E used to do like weekend marathons or whatever. I turn it on and the next thing I come to, it's like Sunday evening. The weekend is over. I've watched like four seasons of this show. It's that like enthralling. So I'm not surprised at all that it's mm-hmm. intriguing. Similar to that, um, what it above below board, below deck, below deck. Marathon. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Well, and that's why I thought Casey would like it. He was the one that got me onto below deck and I was like, I think he would like this show. Like, Right. You're going to like this extravagance. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, so I, so all to say, if you decide to watch more than an episode, you should, cause it's yeah. good. But there's an episode in, I think it's season two and two of the guys go to Charleston. Oh. And I, and they'd never been to the South before. Were they in a different version of Charleston than we get when we go? No. Same, same. There I mean, no ex- they were, exclusivity. So it's interesting because I think they were trying to keep it low key. I don't want to give away any details about the oh, episode, sure, sure. you know, yeah. spoiler mm-hmm. alerts, but like, or spoiler free. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was just like them driving by some of the most iconic, like Rainbow Road kind of things mm-hmm. um, and reacting to those. And they actually only stayed in like an Airbnb. I mean, it was okay. a really nice Airbnb, but it's not, you know, to your point, they weren't somewhere with a Prada toothbrush and whatever so right. uh but just seeing them kind of interact with the southern place when because west coast mentality and southern mentality they are very different uh so there it's kind of nice to see that juxtaposition so you should check it out a little bit more than one episode and then i was gonna say that jenny and georgia have you watched um, this i watched like half of the first season oh and then you you were out I wouldn't say out. It just is one of those things that like, two kids. Ah, more, th- more to do. Um, more to so, do. Like, it, was, it was fine. Uh-huh. It was fine. People really love it. I, th- I think it's really good. I mean, I think I was more into the first season, but it could just be that it's like that time of year, and I think it's hard to get into almost anything unless mm-hmm. it really is as light of a watch as, you know. Um, well, it reminds me that other show on Netflix, um, Firefly Lane. Mm-hmm. Do you know the one I'm talking about? I've watched it. So I watched the first season season and just like binged it, like watched back to back to back, could not stop watching yep. it. Um, and they released a second season. I watched like two episodes and I was like, so this is what's hard, I think, about the new setup with TV is like we wait, we see 10 episodes and then we wait an entire year. You wait so long and you sort of fall out of love slash forget. Yeah. In Designing Women era, you're seeing it for like, a third of the year, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, I mean, almost half of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, when that's the case, you have longer for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I think it's harder to forgive that sophomore slump that most shows go through Mm -hmm. when you've waited so long and then you wound up building it up in your head. And if they leave me on a cliffhanger, because I am unlikely to go back and watch like Firefly. The, I should exactly. I should go back and watch the last episode in preparation for the new season. But that's just a level of like preparation and like 
um, coordination I just can't do right now. So if they've left me on a cliffhanger, half the time I've forgotten the cliffhanger. And so they start the new season. I'm like, wait, what are we, what has happened? Where are, who are these people? And it just becomes like a, that's going to be an assignment. And I really just, king of queens, sounds good right about now. <laughs> I mean, I, me too. Mine's The Office, but I, I get it. I've, I've been watching The Office too. So yeah. it's king of queens, The Office. I started The Middle again recently because that show just gets me every time. Yeah, um, I usually think just, of you when I see I it. I just need a show I can just put on and it does not matter where I fall into it. It's sure. fine. Yeah, I think we all need that, right? There's also a show on Netflix, and I know this is your mm-hmm. list of shows you've been watching. There's a show on Netflix. I'd that's... love for you to participate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Hallmark show, The Good Witch. Oh, uh-huh. So ridiculous, but also wonderful. Ridiculous in the sense of like there's just – Every episode is self-contained for the most part. There is no big, huge drama in it. Um, you kind of predictable in a way, but it is so mellow and like an easy watch. I also can turn that one on sometimes and just watch an episode and be happy. Yeah. I was wondering, so I started to rewatch Desperate Housewives. Mm-hmm. I think because we talked about we it talked recently. About it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to take a look-see at that again. And like, I didn't get very far. Tension keeps getting pulled in 55 different directions. But um, the guy who was on The Good Witch was on Desperate Housewives. Oh. He's with Terry Hatcher's character. And the woman who plays on The Good Witch looks a lot like her. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if they were trying to, like, recapture some of that magic, but, like, in a oh, different way. Maybe. Because um, I think that was one of the better-known, like, couples from the show mm-hmm. when that show was, like, I mean, that show definitely had a moment back in the early aughts. It was a big deal. So uh, He's very handsome. Yeah, he is a uh, not hard on the eyes kind of guy. The girl that plays the not Terry Hatcher mm-hmm. actor, um, her daughter, Bailey Madison, she was a child actor who was in, and I, I would have to look it up. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think she's just the most adorable little thing. And when I saw she was in this show as a teenager, like she's a lot more grown up now, but she's still so adorable and like wholesome and just seems like a nice person. That's part of the draw for me. She seems really lovely. What was she in? Just told you. I'd have to look it up. Oh, you'd see. have to look it up. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, well, you're always Googling while I'm talking. Come on. Gosh, um, darn it. Hold on. Uh, so, okay. So the reason I brought up Jenny and Georgia, though, is because, well, they're both supposed to be from the South, but the daughter doesn't really have an accent, which I find interesting. Um, but, I, you know, at some point, that's something that we could cover and look at more closely. If you haven't watched it, Nikki, you have. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of like a... I would call it a darker Gilmore Girls because yes, like the content, right. the story content is a little bit more, well, first of all, it's a little bit more realistic, mm-hmm. but then it's almost like, it's like too realistic. Too realistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, that might be something for us to explore in the future. And then the staircase. Do you know what this is? Mm-mm. They've done both a, a doc and that's on Netflix. And then there's also a mini series that's on HBO with, Colin Firth and I always get Colin Firth and Colin Farrell mixed up just because the Colin part um, and the f- and the f- yeah <laughs> that's a very good point. Um, so, but it's got uh, it's got him in it, and then the woman who was in the um, this is good listening. I will tell you, Tony Collette. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, she plays the wife. It's based on a true story. And it's, it follows, the, he, he, Colin Firth is Michael Peterson. This is a real man who was convicted of murdering his wife, Kathleen, in 2001. Oh. After she was found dead at the bottom of the staircase in their home in Durham, North Carolina. I'm just saying, it's a loose Southern connection, but it's there. So that might be something to dig into as well. I mean, this movie came, I mean, the show came out sometime in maybe May last year. Mm-hmm. I just got around to it. I was like thinking it was going to be a heavy watch and it is, but it is very interesting. Do you remember this case at all? I was just curious. I thought I did. did. And then I think I was confusing it for something else. Is it Lacey and Scott Peterson? Yes. You said Peterson and that's where my head went. And then I thought, no, that guy's name was Scott. And then you said staircase. And I was like, that's not the same either. Yeah. I, so it's so weird because their names are so similar, but that case, that was just so dominating of the news. Like I want to say towards the end of high school. Um, I mean, every day it was in the news Mm -hmm. and this guy, he was convicted of killing his wife while eight months pregnant, 
like what was happening in those couple of years? Like, what, like that's just terrible. Um, also, it could just be us being obsessive about things in the news and following them 24 hours a day. So it was pre-economy um, drop, and it was post-millennium. Those were my two theories. When you kind of mentioned the time frame, I was like the craziness around the millennium or possibly economic issues. But I don't know. Uh, it's just weird that both of those popped up within a few years of each other. Okay, but speaking of love stories, did you want to get into this week's episode? Excellent transition. <laughs> Thank you. Love stories, but no murders. Uh, this week's episode is Designing Women Season 4, Episode 5, The Girlfriend, uh, who, nope, this week is IMDb's description. Anthony becomes a contractor, and to impress his yuppie girlfriend, he is eager to finish a job on which the ladies have had to deal with unscrupulous contractors who cut corners. Air date, October 23rd, 1989. We're calling this one Legs Okay, Hair's All Right, I Give Her a 6.8. Written by Pamela Norris. Um, so this is another instance where IMDb puts her as sharing writing credit with LBT, but actually um, the credits just say she's Pam Norris. Hmm. Uh, directed by David Trainer. So top three general reactions and stray observations. So I don't really feel like they gave Lita, that's his girlfriend's name, I don't feel like they gave her a fair shake. So the way I see it, we all we knew Suzanne was going to be jealous because she's losing the person who does her errands. But I was going to say her bestie. <laughs> well, but also the person who, like, behind closed doors, they're best friends, you right. know. Uh, so I don't think that is a shocking revelation, okay? Charlene and Mary Jo stay pretty tight-lipped, which is their way, but they clearly don't like her. Mm-hmm. And then I, it was really Julia, I thought, that was the most upsetting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably, like, a little bit of a, like, overly aggressive term, but uh, I thought she was just kind of haughty and cold, like, immediately and really lacking self-awareness again when she calls Lita strong-willed, opinionated, overly critical, and pushy, which Charlene calls out right there in the episode. I mean, yeah. it's a joke, but, like, also, like, Julia, come on. <laughs> All of those things. Um, it's just a different package for Julia, right? That's so right. So it's young. It's upper middle class. It's a different skin color. Like, I think there was a lot of uncertainty for Julia. Like, she talks about the yuppie thing a lot, mm-hmm. which I feel like is something that is a cultural moment of the late 80s, early 90s that's sure. probably lost now. I'm not sure. sure that most people would really understand what that means. It's like you're defining the references that I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about, though, this yuppie thing triggered something in Julia. It triggered something in her. Maybe it's the way that um, people, like people our parents' ages now are triggered by hipsters. I think that's Millennials and Gen Z. Julia immediately says her beef with Lita being a yuppie is that she uses the word impact as a verb. That struck you too? What does that mean? Me too. I was like all the time. I I, I don't, so I looked it up because I was like, this is something. Uh This is something. I couldn't Uh find anything like in the realm of yuppie, Mm -hmm. but what I did find is that it actually is kind of hotly contested in language. Um, So sparing you from the, like all the specifics of it, I'm going to share that, uh, it is something that possibly could have been in like this um, interaction between old school and new school coming together. That actually might have been a language example that was really challenging for like Julia to understand because the word impact doesn't historically get used as a verb. Um, technically, it can be a verb though, but it came about like in the late 80s that people started using it that way. Okay. So it makes sense. It's just such a weird, obscure thing for her to be so upset by in the world of yuppie. Hold on. I think I have a current day example. Okay. Like how cursive is going away. Oh. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, that doesn't, even, and I, hey, I love my signature. Like, I love the fact that it's a cursive signature. Beyond that, I don't use cursive. I don't have a dog in that fight, nor do I want to go down that road. All I'm saying is there are people who get very offended over cursive going away, and maybe there's some sort of parallel there. I just wish Pamela Norris would explain to us what she meant by that. Like, again, I looked into it. It does seem like in language circles, it's a big deal. But like for everyday people to be offended by a yuppie, that's not the thing that would bother them. It's more the fact that she calls a BMW a Beamer. It's more mm-hmm. the fact that she talks about money so openly. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of other things that I felt like, that's the thing you're bothered by? 
I don't know. I don't really enjoy an editorial comma. Mm. Well. <laughs> but I don't associate it with any, like, large group of people. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> so I th- the only other thing I'll say there is, like, I just felt like in this episode, I didn't think our gals came off looking their best. Um, I found it actually quite disappointing, especially, like, that um, with Anthony, it just tore him up. And I hated to see him so torn up, like kind of pulled and pushed between the women he works with who have become his friends and his girlfriend. I didn't like it. Um, And no real on-the-nose reason for why they didn't like Lita. I think that's a great thing that I would like to talk about is like what your thoughts were on her. Mm -hmm. I thought that surely there was a dropped line somewhere about the lady's frustration that she was steamrolling Anthony into doing everything for her. I thought that was their beef with it. You remember like she called and left those messages where it was like this, 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 this. So I thought for sure they'd be like, man, this girl is using you so hard. But then she shows up at the, um, the work site and she's just trying to make sure he gets his fair due. Rolling up her sleeves and ready to go. She was like, let's do this. I'm going to advocate on your behalf and I'm going to help you be the very best version of yourself that you can be. And so I understand how that might have come up. I, I would not enjoy Lita personally in, in a personal capacity. I would not want to go have dinner with her probably. Mm-hmm. Probably just wouldn't. She's a little aggressive to me. Mm-hmm. And if everything is that aggressive all the time, it's overwhelming to me. Which I think may have been what they really wanted to play out of the yuppie part. Yeah, probably. Because I, because I do think maybe there's some genderization coming in here, right? Mm. I, I mean, I think. I, I don't know this for sure. And this is just me off the cuff right now. But I think... Um, Women were, and we talk about that in the course of the show a lot. And I'm talking about in the show designing women that our main characters do, like that they were taught to be demure and put their opinions on hold. Like that might be how they were raised. I think was we're getting into later generations that's changing. And so when you take someone's, someone Julia's age and when you take someone Lita's age and you put them next to each other, I think there's um, a clash of understandings. Yes, that seems fair to me. Because I think it would have been very unusual a long time ago for a woman to call a man and give her her list of things that she expected him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps that's in the sauce. My thought on Lita was um, she's absolutely like a, a Julia type, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of makes you wonder. I'm like, does Anthony have some sort of <laughs> low-level attraction for Julia? Um, she's maybe a little colder, um, at least at, like – because I think we just spent a lot more time with Julia, so we know there's like a, a little bit of a warmer side. But she is poised. She is elegant, smart, matter-of-fact, and a go-getter. And those are all things that, and qualities that Julia has. Um, I also think that she's right on some things. Um, they've He has been held in that current position despite everything that he's done and proven in the last three years. I mean, there could have been some movement there. I mean... There doesn't have to be. You can just get a job, and that's the job that you keep. But the point still isn't lost. And the one thing I didn't agree with was her inserting herself into his work conversation mm-hmm. when they were all there. Like, on that didn't make any sense necessarily. But the timeline for the kitchen was absolutely crazy. Yeah. As someone with recent experience, literally they gave him a weekend. He is one human being. I mean, he did have some people come in there and there's a whole, you know, part of the plot line is around that, them being in there and cutting corners as well. Um, But that is a crazy job to do an entire kitchen in one weekend. Um, Not that Julia did not tell him that when he got involved. And then the last thing I'll say about Lita is I do think that she is teaching him to stand up for himself. And, or at least she is telling him he should be more. I think she's putting that thought into his head. And I'm not sure that he's always felt very comfortable asserting himself around these women. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. I think it goes back to she was trying to help him be the best version of himself that he could be Mm -hmm. and building him up to believe that he deserved that. Um, I was going to say one one thing I loved about Lita was the quote she had when he was like worried about the quality of the kitchen. And she's like, what do you care? We could all be dead in a few years. I just feel like that's a really important piece of context to maybe bounce around in your head before you get super worked up over things. Um, And I'm saying that like partly tongue in cheek, but also like 
uh, I don't know. Seriously, <laughs> like, how important yeah. is it really? Uh, I do not want my contractor asking himself that question. I really do want high quality stuff. But that actually led me to my first general reaction, which was a question for you, Selena, okay. which is with your recent home experience, mm -hmm. did any of Mary Jo's plot line of dealing with those contractors resonate with you? Mm -hmm. She's blinking very slowly. Mm -hmm. So that was real. That felt real to you. I th so I don't have to, uh, luckily I'm not, I, I can see how it's much more stressful in her position, right? Yeah. Because she's on behalf of a client. Right. And so that's a whole nother layer. And then it's like, essentially, I think in this part of their field, they are middle persons. Right. You know, they're not doing the work. They're not putting throw pillows on anything. They're just sort of waiting for all of these things to happen. But I think it's, Fair to say that timelines are challenging in this world. And I also think that it's fair to say that no one ever does not have a reason readily available for why timelines are challenging. Um, but I will also say I've never done the job. And I think that there's a lot of backbreaking work going on. Um, and it's not a skill set that I have. So you know what? Gots to roll with it. What character growth to see Mary Jo have that like nose Ooh, to nose with the guy? That was amazing. That's a great. He point. pushed her way too far, and she finally feels comfortable sharing that. Um, I had one more general reaction, and then one more stray. Okay. My first general is uh, Suzanne, I felt like was really firing on all cylinders in this episode. Like when they went to the, and like, like, like that's so different for me, right? But when they were at the Dillingham's and she was just like going off on her diatribe about Julia's beef with um, the Reagans, was it the Reagans? Oh, uh huh. Yeah, she uh -huh. had like a beef with the Reagans. And then Suzanne was like cheesed off about everything that's happening with Anthony and just doesn't know what to think about this leader person. Like all of her lines, just every time she talked, I laughed. Oh, yeah. She was just the, the most perfect example of Suzanne in this episode. Oh, yeah. All the Suzanne-isms were on fire end point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I had a couple of uh, stray observations. One is, is that, and I had to go back like a few times. So I guess Lita has kids. Oh, yeah, this like, is news to me. Anthony like drops it in at the beginning, like something about picking up kids or something like that. And then it oh. never gets brought up again. And I thought that was interesting and weird. Now That is weird. Yeah. Now, double check me because hopefully I'm not messing that up. But it feels like it gets kind of snuck in there and then we never hear any more about it. Um, at the end of the episode... Their plan is to leave Sugar Bakers and surprise Anthony by showing up at the job site an hour earlier than the deadline. I think that Yay. is the coolest thing that you could ever do to any human being. And if that is not subconsciously a way to show up and be like, you didn't finish the job, I don't know what is. But when and we just want to surprise them. I was like, I would kill you. And if you've ever watched any of those like home remodeling shows to the very last minute, like they've got paint on their faces, they're like scrubbing paint on the wall. They need every last second. So yeah, poor Anthony. Yeah. He wasn't ready for that. I know. That was just, that really like, that really like. Really tweaked your melon. It did. It fired up something inside of me. Whoo. <laughs> um, and then I, so, and you're out of strays, right? I have one more. It's a cut line. <laughs> it's, sorry, I, I blew some helium. Go ahead. Um, there was a pretty substantial cut during the retelling of Julia's awkward interaction in the dressing room. Oh, right, right. right. Um, basically, it sounded super similar to her to the retelling of her like similar awkward experience on the runway in season three, episode fifteen. Right. Uh, let's just say mall security got involved this go round. And she got a date proposal because she's half naked in a dressing room. Oh, you know, I think I went and read this cut line and I didn't realize the date thing. Because mm -hmm. she puts on another woman's dress that's just hanging right. in the dressing room, right. right? I was trying to think, like, um, I sometimes you'll go in a place and you can tell no one's been in there for uh -huh. a while. But what a good reminder to maybe be careful about putting on the clothes. <laughs> But also, like, the fact that someone would hang them up so nice and neatly where I feel like I usually, like, throw mine on top of my purse in the corner And there was, like, no deodorant on the underarm or, like, nothing. <laughs> no grape jelly just <laughs> slung down the front of your top. I yeah. don't understand. 
It says, and by this time, the mall cops are there with her walkie-talkies, and Julia's in her slip, and the upshot is she can't go back to that store anytime soon, but one of the mall cops did ask her out. Julia, she's just always getting asked on dates. Boy, is she. So we got a fair amount of Georgia and Atlanta-specific references in this one. In fact, so many that I have a request. Mm-hmm. Can we, Selena, sidebar about these references? Yes. It's a sidebar, Selena, sidebar. She's got a keyboard looking for a reward by digging deep in the obscure, taking us on a detour. What you got, Selena, in Selena, sidebar? When I started thinking about all of these local references as like a package, they're not just references. These are like people and places that have shaped Atlanta, Georgia, and in some cases, the world. So I was really wanting to just kind of dig into these a little bit. And I had a lot of fun doing it because I don't think I had looked, I don't know, I hadn't looked into like a bunch of Georgia people all at once back to back since I was like in elementary school that was required. <laughs> Georgia history. <laughs> right. Um, and honestly, it's it's not this fun. So <laughs> it's just, sorry, fourth and eighth grade. Um, so in no certain order, although I do think this might be the order they were named, but uh, Ted Turner, Rich's Department Store, Coretta Scott King, the Carters, as in Jimmy and Rosalind, and Habitat for Humanity were all mentioned. So let's start with Ted Turner and his impact on Atlanta. So we have TBS, Braves, and CNN. I mean, I'm not sure anyone's legacy looms quite as large as Ted Turner's does here in Atlanta. I mean, he created CNN and the 24-hour news cycle. CNN's headquarters remain in Atlanta, although I hear they're moving to Midtown at some point this year. Um, The man literally changed news around the world, including the way it's perceived, received. I mean... And he did it right here in Atlanta. So, and then he just left. And then he just left. <laughs> he just left. We still like the Brave Stadium up until the Braves left and moved out to Cobb County was the Ted. It was yeah. Turner Stadium. Like he's the Ted, and he just left. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the Braves because not only did he own the Braves for nearly thirty years, he turned them into one of the most profitable teams in the league, and during which they won world a World Series championship. Braves. And then he also turned them into America's team, albeit Nikki tells us back in season one, episode 21, that that was a bit of a controversial (laughs) move. (laughs) And I do suggest go back to, um, if you want to know more about the Braves, and I think it goes into this part of the history a lot, um, Nikki's extra sugar in that episode, saliva balls and baseball groupies. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, is it really good? And it takes Excellent. you through all of those different intricacies. So I'm going to bypass that because she's already done it. And I want to talk about some things that you may or may not know. So his nickname is Mouth of the South, but he was actually born in Ohio and moved here at, or moved to Savannah rather at the age of eight. And Nikki, I think you would admire his competitive spirit. He won the 1977 America's Cup. If you're not familiar with the America's Cup, this is an award for sailing. It's also the oldest international competition still operating in any any sport. I'm not a sports person, but even that fact boggles my mind. Uh, This is wild. Two years later, he captained his yacht, just the whole sentence, okay? (laughs) Tenacious is the name of the yacht, through a Force 10 gale to win an ocean race where only 92 of 302 boats survived, 19 people were killed. Good Lord. That's crazy, That's right? how he could have lost Ted Turner? That's how you could have lost Ted Turner. And that's before everything. Wow. Because that's 79. Good Lord. So, but perhaps what should be his most enduring legacy happened later in life. He focused on environmental and global peace initiatives, donating... One billion to the United Nations, which, according to an Atlanta Magazine article, immunized 500 million children. Wow. Funded world heritage conservation and worked toward eradicating polio. Holy moly. He also gave 250 million to the Nuclear Threat Initiative to secure nuclear material around the world and more than 300 million through his foundation. I'm not going to stop to go fact check myself, but I think I may have. Not updated my notes, and I actually think it may have been way more than 250. Oh, wow. 
what I'm trying to say is it's a lot of money. <laughs> he donated a lot of money. So um, we'll link to that article, the Atlanta Magazine one. It's a good read because it's a very humanizing piece. And I think a lot, like, I don't know. It's just like these little tidbits about him that I found, like, so lovely and kind of adorable. So you should go check them out. Uh, but I will not take that from Atlanta Magazine. <laughs> Riches, this is also a side bar. Although afterwards, Nikki's going to tell me we're going to have to call it full bar. Uh, Rich's Department Store up next. Ooh-wee, Nikki. Oh. You remember Riches, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Predecessor of Macy's. Yes. Do you remember the Riches teddy bears? No. Mm-mm. I'm going to see if I can uh, show you this guy and not turn over my whole computer. We'll see how it goes. Cause... I could possibly Google it. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Oh, here, <laughs> here it comes now. Uh-oh. She's doing it anyway, guys. I'm doing it. This guy right here? Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I do realize this is a podcast, so they're teddy bears, and then they have a little hat. Like a Santa hat that says Richie on him, and it has a little sweater that it's wearing. Um, how come I never look that cute when my sweaters don't fit? It's got a little Christmas tree on it. Um, anyways, the, I think they release those every year for Christmas, and um, I'm pretty sure I had uh, one or two that my grandparents got me. I bet you I like lost one and freaked out, and they had to buy me another one. <laughs> I'm just taking a guess. I'm just taking a guess. But anyway, so for those of you who are not familiar, maybe you didn't grow up in the South or you didn't grow up here in Georgia specifically. It was a department store retail chain headquartered in Atlanta, which operated in the South from, and this I didn't know, from 1867 until it was replaced by Macy's in 2005. So that's like 138 years worth of history. So not going to take you through all of that, but here's some highlights. It was initially a dry goods store for about the first 30 or so years and started by a Hungarian immigrant, Mauritius uh, Reach, angelicized to Morris Rich. Its first suburban store opened at Lenox Square in 1959. Can you even imagine thinking about Lenox Square as the suburbs? I think this came up. Tuxedo Road, right? Tuxedo Road and thinking, oh, wow, life was different back then. Right. And But I think some of your piece even stretched back into the 1800s, right? And so, like, in 1960, I'm like, man, we're still calling that the suburbs? That's crazy. Mm. So... Here, when we're talking about legacy, I think it's holiday traditions are some of its greatest legacies, okay? So we have the great tree. This is a big old Christmas tree that they, this is the one that they put up on top of Macy's now at Lenox Square, Mm -hmm. and then they do the tree lighting. So the the iterations are different. It used to be riches, and the riches was in downtown, and now the tree's artificial. But other than that, the... um, This tradition continues all the same to be on Thanksgiving night. People from all over come to kick off the holiday season with the tree lighting and other, you know, holiday festivities in around the area. Have you ever been to the one at Lenox? The tree lighting? Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've just been one time. I think I didn't get, I think I probably would have felt a little bit more nostalgic about it if I hadn't been like, oh, I don't know, 33 years old when I went. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really cool to think that this thing has been around since 1948. Mm -hmm. Um, And even at this point, it's been at Linux since 2020. So, I mean, ah, everything's 2020. It's been there since 2000. So we're already looking at it about to have its 23rd year. That's a long time. The second holiday tradition that comes up is Rich's Pink Pig. You're familiar with the Pink Pig, yes? I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this began in 1956 as a child-sized monorail. I thought this, I wish I could have seen this. I You can't even really find pictures that do it any justice, but it was suspended from the ceiling of a portion of the plaza level of its store for homes, and riders had a bird's eye view of the toy department below. If that's not a good way to entice children, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Um, but in 1965, they expand it to include a second monorail, and they move it to the roof. Of riches, there's two pigs. Eventually, they go on to be named Priscilla and Percival. And because this is audio, if you've never seen these monorails before, the front of the trains had a had a pig face, and the last car had curly tails. Uh, and the successor actually came on the scene in 2003 in Lenox Square, and it remained around until 2021 when it was retired. And they're now kept at the Atlanta History Center. 
Perhaps Rich's most permanent legacy is WABE, a radio station they donated through their foundation to Atlanta and Fulton Public Schools. And if you're from Atlanta, this is now our affiliate NPR station whose license is held by Atlanta Public Schools to this day. I also want to be um, just... uh, I don't know this is the best part of their legacy, but it is part of their legacy. I ran across a Georgia State article, and we'll link to that so you can read more about uh, Riches yourself. But Riches did become a focal point of the movement to desegregate lunch counters in Atlanta department stores. The effort would eventually bring in and involve Martin Luther King Jr. He was arrested for the first time in this particular sit-in. And JFK, who eventually called the Georgia governor and advocated for his release, was also involved. Uh, The dining halls were officially integrated about a year later. Move faster. That's all I got to say. Move faster. Mm. Um, Our next Atlanta legacy, uh, sort of a correlated story here, is Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife. But she was more than a wife, much more than a wife. She's a civil rights leader in her own right, as well as an author and an activist. Um, While her story is woven into the very fabric of Atlanta, she was born in Alabama in 1927, and she was valedictorian of her high school and held a BA in music. In fact, she met MLK while she was studying music in Boston. And one of her most widely known achievements is establishing the King Center in 1968. She envisioned it to be, and this is her quote, no dead monument, but a living memorial filled with uh, all the vitality that was his, a center of human endeavor committed to the causes for which he lived and died. It was about educational community programs as well as protecting and advances, advancing MLK's legacy. And it sounds like they're actually in the middle of um, a revamp right now that includes plans for a state-of-the-art renovation. And they get about a million visitors each year. So, um, She also busted her hump to honor MLK with his own federal holiday, which was signed into law in, in 1983. And today they are bar- buried together here in Atlanta. They have an absolutely beautiful memorial in Oakland Cemetery, which we featured on our social media. Both the cemetery and the memorial, if you're in this area um, and haven't been... Um, like, it's a can't-miss um, site here in Atlanta. It's legitimately a great experience. And then last but not least, we get a triple whopper. That makes me hungry. Jimmy Carter, Rosalind Carter, and Habitat for Humanity. Jimmy Carter was the 39th president of the U.S. from 1977 to 1980, and he is also the only president in our history from Georgia. He's a Navy veteran, and before his presidency, he served as a Georgia senator and then as the governor, and he authored... Get this, 32 books. Oh, wow. I mean, this man is busy. Every time I read about the Carters, it like warms my heart. Mm. I just think they are the most precious two people. Like I pray that nothing bad ever comes out of, about them. Mm. Like I feel so many people's legacies are tainted and theirs haven't been. And like, if we could just have a couple of, everyone's human and I get that. But like, if we could just have a couple of aspirational characters left in this world, that would be so wonderful. He is 98 years old, and that means he has some legacies that are just based on his age alone. He's our oldest living president and the nation's, nation's longest-lived president, and he and his wife, Rosalind, have the longest presidential marriage in U.S. history. Rosalind Carter is 95 years old, and let me tell you, this woman has done it all. She's a champion for mental health, caregiving, early child immunization, human rights, and conflict resolution, She's won countless awards, but among them are the United States Surgeon General's Medallion, the United States Presidential Medal of Freedom, and she's been inducted into the National Woman's Hall of Fame. She has authored five books. Nikki, I barely got pants on before you got here. These are the differences, okay? Uh, So you could argue their greatest legacy is the Carter Center. This is the nonpartisan and nonprofit that they founded 40 years ago right here in Atlanta. And I don't want to get this wrong because it feels like it's pretty nuanced what they do. So directly from their website, they address national and international issues of public policy and Carter Center staff and associates join President Carter in efforts to resolve conflict, promote democracy, protect human rights, and prevent disease and other afflictions. You know, just your regular just duties. Normal stuff. That's right. And the center has spearheaded the international effort to eradicate guinea worm disease, which is poised to be the second human disease in history to be eradicated. 
What'd you do today, honey? Oh, you know, just eradicating diseases. (laughs) Same old, same Um, It feels almost impossible to disentangle the Carters from Habitat for Humanity. And that's because of a collaboration that they've done for, since 1984. Um, And that's Habitat's Carter Work Project. Together, they have worked with more than 100,000 volunteers in 14 countries to build, renovate, and repair more than 4,000 homes. And Habitat itself is a Georgia legacy, which I'm not entirely sure I realized. Its roots are just outside of America's Georgia. Today, that nugget of an idea that it started at is in every state and more than 70 countries. It's helped more than 46 million people achieve strength, stability, and independence through safe, decent, and affordable shelter. So I just wanted to share some of those really cool things about like, like an amazing organization, these long legacies that we have of people who are right here in our own backyard in our peach state. I actually thought Habitat for Humanity was founded by the Carters because they're so intertwined, but actually it was founded nearly a decade before they even got involved by Millard and Linda Fuller, Yep, which I found really fascinating. I just thought it was one and the same. Yeah. Carters, Habitat. And I think, and that's how, um, interwoven the two are, um, especially like by now in thinking about the course of the show and that being 89, like then they hadn't been doing it all that long. Now we're talking about, you know, 35 years or I'm not great with math. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so that was some things that I liked about references. (laughs) Nikki, what did you like about the show? Uh, I think we've gotten hints before uh, of the women's affinity for Anthony, how much they loved him. But this episode, I feel like really laid it out there in a way we haven't seen. So I agree with with your argument earlier that the women were not showing their best selves when it came to Lita. Mm -hmm. But I think it was because they were big sistering Anthony um, and they want to make sure he's getting the real, really the best. Um, Julia tried to rein it in a couple of times as sort of saying like his relationship is his business. Let's leave him alone. But then she still, that got strained at times and you could really see she didn't really care for Lita. Mm-hmm. I actually loved the concept of it because Anthony needs someone like he needs family. He needs people close by. And I love that he found that in these women. Um, so I really liked that. I also really liked that we got to see a girlfriend like we've heard about women, but I liked that we actually got to see her and that she, in my opinion, was so different from what I was expecting, mm-hmm. what I would have expected of him. Um, I don't even know that I could articulate what I expected, but when it was her, I was like, it wasn't her. I think because you said earlier, like, does he have like a Julia type? I guess I kind of thought maybe he had a little more of a, maybe like a Mary Jo type, like spunky and fun and not quite business and in your face. So that mm-hmm. surprised me a little bit. Mm. I think we'll get the spunky fun later. That's more the girlfriend I was expecting for him. Mm-hmm. So, And I think because I, I know that part of the show, I didn't have an expectation. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I did not remember this episode. Okay. Uh, same. That was a like for me as well. Like, I may have not enjoyed that other aspect, but I love how much Anthony loves the ladies and I love... <laughs> The ladies of the show and all the ladies. <laughs> um, and I love how much they love him. And I agree that this was an episode where it really showcased that in a way I'm not sure it's done where it's all of them. Maybe like him and Julia will mm-hmm. have a moment or him and Suzanne have like some kind of Whatever it misadventure, is <laughs> right? Lucy and Ethel or something. Um, but this felt different. And I... Oh, <laughs> You mentioned some lines that you liked of Suzanne's. One of the ones I liked is that she thought that Lita might be white because she picked up on her being selfish, pushy, whiny, and neurotic. <laughs> Sounds like a white girl and to me. I laughed a lot. <laughs> I feel like the storytelling in this one, at least in the uncut original, was really top-notch. So again, that story from the dressing room, mm-hmm. akin to like the full moon episode, was really good off-screen storytelling when the on-screen version wouldn't have the same payoff. I really love Charlene's Dairy Queen story. Oh my God. I really thought we were going to find out that that man like founded the first ever fro-yo chain in the early aughts or something, you know, like something crazy about how amazing he was. Mm-hmm. But really it was just that he had a really good first week. <laughs> he had a great first week. He's still a Dairy Queen. So that was my last like. 
Yeah, I thought that story really cracked me up. And I see why you think that, because, like, sometimes we get, like, a Fred Smith story from her. Exactly. So you just, you never you know never what know you're going to get. Yeah, don't paint, don't paint Charlene into a corner, you know? <laughs> um, I do like, this is my last like, I do like that the show is self-aware enough to have Charlene ask if Lita had a point about whether they're holding Anthony back or not. Mm. So in terms of, like, being able to see... Um, some balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was at least a little bit nudged into the script. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there wasn't really much in this episode I didn't like. Uh, I feel like I, I said earlier, this isn't, it, doesn't, it only like is ever so slightly even a not like this concept of a yuppie. It was just such an undercurrent to the episode and an undercurrent for why they didn't like Lita mm-hmm. that I just feel like that reference is a little bit lost now. It's a little bit dated. So it, it almost is unclear even now why, like, why exactly did Julia dislike her so much? Um, or what is it about yuppies that really just ground her gears? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was the only little, and it's even just kind of a tiny piece of the episode, but I didn't, I didn't care for that. Yeah. I, I actually didn't love these storylines together, even if they were both Anthony's. And, and hear me out. I think I would have preferred, no, <laughs> no screw it. <laughs> We're done. Um, I I think I would have preferred to have seen them both blown out a little and covered in separate episodes. This way, each plot would have had some breathing room. Related to that point, I didn't care for how quickly things escalated when they first met Lita on the job site. That did not feel earned to me. Mm -hmm. It just felt like it just ratcheted up so fast that I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, everybody take a pill. Everybody calm down. I just, I didn't care for that. Um. Also, Anthony didn't either. No, I wouldn't have either. I think I would have been like, I bet that Batman movie. <laughs> bah. Um, the whole Reagan Carter commentary. I'm glad that I got the chance to like look back at the Carters, but honestly, what Julia was saying, all of that in the middle of the episode, it felt forced and out of place. Mm-hmm. It felt like LBT had been. Something, speaking of grinding gears, something had really been not sitting well with her about the Reagans and these paid speeches, and she just really needed to get that out somewhere, so she got it out here. Well, it was Pam Norris. Oh, Pam. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Pam. You know what is so funny, and I almost mentioned this a minute ago during your sidebar, but I didn't want to color anything. Uh, If you don't know much about the Carters, and sometimes the older presidents, the older at this point in time presidencies, I feel like can be a little challenging to keep straight. Like what was Carter responsible for versus Reagan? Um, The Carters and and Jimmy Carter in particular is an example of a president who took a very tarnished presidential reputation and turned it into a beautiful post-presidential reputation. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's fair to say that uh, if LBT had written this episode, I just don't know that much about Pam Norris's political leanings. Although- I mean, I, you could possibly assume that she leans a little more liberal. I would guess he was not her favorite U.S. president. And I would guess that just a few short years before this episode, she would not have been his favorite person. He would not have been her favorite person. Yes, I think The that's Carters, right. in fact. Um, but oh, the Carters. But their legacies yeah, maybe. Um, have changed. Mm-hmm. So, it, I don't know. Yeah. And I didn't mean to attribute that to LBT. So... Because I always go and I pull directly from the from IMDb, and then you come back and tell me how I got it wrong. And so I don't know the intent. I know it's not, but like I have it in my head for like three weeks that it's one writer, and every time I'm wrong. So um, I really need to um, like cement that. And maybe I need to check in with you, or if you'll let me know when it's wrong. So I'll stop attributing all these characteristics to LBD that are really Pam Norris's. I always just notice them when I'm watching the credits. Yeah, I don't ever watch the credits. Um, so I've That's where the juicy stuff is. That's yeah. how I would have noticed you had found I been a paying lot of attention. Stuff there. I would have seen that T. Tommy Reed was in the last episode, but I wasn't paying attention. Well, do you know his name in real life? I think it, if I read it, it would resonate with me. What if it had just said T. Tommy? That would have been glorious. <laughs> That'd be the ultimate Easter egg. So, but all that to say, it doesn't matter. If it's Pam Norris's, if it's LBT's, whoever's, um, like, thought that is on the Reagans. I mean, I, I, I even understand the sentiment, but it just felt out of place. And it didn't feel earned. So, those were my two. And I wouldn't even call them not likes. I would just call right. them mimi mees. Yeah. Yeah. You want to rate this sucker? Sure. Uh, my rating scale is first week Dairy Queen promotions. I love it. Love I'm it. giving this one a 4.5 out of 5. Um, 
I don't have anything tangible to take away from it, but it wasn't quite a five for me. I can't explain it. I don't have any evidence that I would offer up for it. Um, it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it's just guttural. It's just, and it's my, it's mine. I can, I can do what I want. Right. Also, sometimes it's like you've got other things going on besides rating an episode <laughs> of TV from 1989. And sometimes you look back and go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> Sometimes that. But you know what? You're going to double down on it, just like I did in the last episode. You're going to take your lumps and we'll move on. But you know, like when I think of a five, like an episode I'm going to go, if someone asked me, what what episode should I watch of Designing Women? I wouldn't point them to this one. Not because I hate the episode, not because I don't think it's fine. It's just not the tippity pop, top, doop, top, doop. So 4.5. Don't you just often wish that things were the pops? You just can't get that all the time, you know? (laughs) What about you? I gave it three out of five stall jobs. Three. Mm -hmm. Can't tell you what I was thinking then, to be honest. But here we are. I did actually write something down to remind myself. Uh Let's use a decorating analogy, shall we? The pretty throw pillows on the couch won't matter if the foundation is cracked. It's true, Anthony. (laughs) Lita. Yeah. And I think Lita and Anthony's foundation may have been cracked. You think so? I think maybe. I think he was uncertain the whole time. I really. think so because there's like a new woman coming in soon. Also, yeah, I've seen those episodes. But I, I think he seemed a little tenuous and uncertain. Yeah. And he, I feel like, um, as he continues to build his life, um, is trying to figure out what he wants. And he was almost test driving this sort of person, this type of lifestyle, and seeing how it worked for him. And I think seeing the women's reactions – It should not always matter what other people think for sure. But I think when you have people that you respect and trust in your life and they are telling you something, sometimes you listen and should listen and hear what they're saying. And I think Anthony had a couple moments where he was like, maybe they're right. Maybe something's not right here. So I think he wasn't quite sure what he wanted. Mm -hmm. That's a a trouble Shaky foundation. Shaky foundation. So 80s things? Every message that Lita left, she left one about dry cleaning. She left one about hand cleaning. She left one about aerobics. She left one to Chinese food without MSG. Oh, the All MSG one. That very does feel 80s very things. 80s. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. I got to back up though. Why is the hands cleaning from the 80s? Um, it, it was dry cleaning. And then also she had a load of hand cleaning that I guess like, like sending out your laundry. Oh, right. Okay. I thought you meant hand no, cleaning. No, sorry. Okay. Sending out your laundry. Just the idea of sending your laundry out. Yeah. I understand is still very much happens in like urban areas for sure. Uh, more in like the city. Sometimes they'll take advantage of the laundry services, but I feel like that was an 80s older thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just, I was like, we're still cleaning our hands. I just. <laughs> you are? I just, what a weirdo. Um, okay. What else did you have? Well, just the reference to Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, something was said about a phone number to Domino's. I think it was when they were asking him what he, you know, what he would tell the the family who lives in that house. The reference to Batman, which you talked about in the 1989 episode, Extra Sugar at the top of episode one this season. That really excited me, by the way. I was like, yeah, I told y'all it was a big deal. Uh, Calling a Beamer uh, or calling a BMW a a Beamer, I feel like is, I feel like I still hear people of the generation for which this would have resonated say it, but like, I don't call it a Beamer unless I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then just the whole kitchen. There was talk about Formica, Formica countertops. Oh, yeah. Good was that catch. Was that like on the list as you were doing your kitchen? Uh, definitely. It definitely was. Also, the fridge in the corner was definitely my grandparents' house. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. That whole kitchen. Yeah. That's all I had. That was a great catch. So I just wanted to say, did we say earlier at any time what yuppie stands for since we also said that no one knows what that means? Mm-mm. Okay, so I just want to say uh, that that's a young urban professional and it was coined in this time period um, or in this decade, but in the early 80s for a young professional person working in a city. Uh, and I, I said the same thing, which is basically like when I was, or like as I was thinking about this as a reference is like, I think we barely grasp it mm-hmm. at our age. And so I'm guessing 35 is probably the cutoff for any understanding of that. And under 30, no point of reference. And I will say, when I think of Yuppie, what comes to mind is the couple. Michael J. Fox. 
Oh, I was going to say the couple that lives next door to uh, Christmas, Christmas vacation. vacation, they are the perfect example of what I think the perception of a yuppie is. I think that's absolutely You right. have sort of like this high standard, you're into the finer things, you're maybe a little bit snotty. Erotic. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think of yuppie, that's my example. So like if you've seen that movie and you're younger, you probably know what a yuppie is. You perfect. just don't realize that's what you're realizing. That's that's a perfect example. Um, a lot of glass top time. tables. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just what you got to have. Okay. Um, so there were a couple of references that were 80s that made me think that LVT had her justice system on the brain. First, she, not, Pamela. I didn't even correct you that time. See, that's just, you need to, but you need to. It's wrong. So Pamela had the justice system on a brain on her brain because Julia compares Lita to Leona Helmsley. Um, so for those who don't know, she was investigated and convicted of federal income tax evasion and other crimes in 1989. She was required to serve only 19 months in prison and two months under house arrest of what was initially a 16-year sen- sentence. And Hemsley was an American businesswoman. She was like in real estate. She was in hotels. But what she, probably what she's most known for is what the press referred to her, which is the queen of mean. She's a, she's interesting to look into. Um, I put that in my references we need to talk about because oh, I uh-huh. did not know who that person was. Okay. So for me, I think of her as like a lifetime movie special because uh. I think that's what we got of her. Mm. And even those would have been like, I was too young to be watching a lifetime movie. Mm-hmm. to be honest. So um, was there any, since we're here on her, is there anything that you found that? No, the queen of mean was the most interesting, the not most interesting, just like. Uh, it's I love, pretty interesting. I love things that rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't think it was a good comp to Lita. After I read about yeah. her, I was like, there, there's just nothing. What are you talking about, Julia? It's making sense. That's why I think I was saying like, something's on Pamela's brain, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Glad we sorted that out. Scene. Um, but so even our brief encounter with Anthony's accountant may have been hinting at some things. So do you remember when he comes through the door? He, unlike Anthony. Oh, you know what? It's I, very brief. I forgot it. Yeah. So he comes through and like he is a person of unfortunate incarceration. <laughs> but he was no white collar prison and he says half the time I couldn't even get a tennis court it was hell so it just got me curious and I started looking into it a little bit there aren't white collar prisons per se but there are minimum security prisons or federal prison camps known for dormitory housing a relatively low staff to inmate ratio and limited or no perimeter fencing I think this is probably a jab at Southern California's uh, at Lompoc Federal Prison Camp, where Ivan Boeski reportedly spent his afternoons playing tennis on lush grounds, unencumbered by barbed wire. He was arrested in 1986 for insider trading. If you don't know Boeski, chances are you know the iconic Gordon Gecko um, from the movie Wall Street, who was modeled after Boeski. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> You don't you, know who Gordon Gecko is. Say, you've literally just said two things back to back. I have no idea what you're talking you about. You really don't know who Gordon Gecko is? No. Okay. Uh, you know, from like the Wall Street. Okay, but now you do. I know what you're Reed talking about. Reed is good. I know what you're talking about. Okay. We're just from two different generations. <laughs> We're just, we have three months between us. I, that might be it. I was going to say, I think we're two different TV consumers. <laughs> I've never seen Wall Street. Okay. I've never seen it. I just know everything about it. So Boeski also really said the iconic line, greed is good, to an applauding class of business students at Berkeley. Let me tell you something that wouldn't happen at Berkeley today. That's how we know we're in two different time periods. Um, And the amenities at these types of prisons continue to draw attention. We'll link to a Town & Country article describing some of those. Um, Southern things. The only thing I had, I think that I didn't mention in my full bar was the governor's mansion. Did you have any Southern references? I had Habitat for Humanity because I wasn't thinking you were going to cover that before. Gotcha. That was it. <laughs> Sorry and about that. Leona Helmsley, don't apologize, was the uh, reference we need to talk about. We just covered that. Okay. And you caught my Batman in the 80s. So um, that's it. All right. Season four, episode six, The Rowdy Girls. 
We'd lo- is up next. Sorry. <laughs> What's coming next? We're the rowdy girls. <laughs> We'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. TikTok at Sweet Tea TV Pod. Our email address is sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. And our website where we put all of our references and show notes is www.sweetteatv.com. There's several ways you can support the show. You can tell your family and friends about us, rate or review the podcast wherever you listen, and then visit our website, the Support Us page, for more. And then come back Thursday for Extra Sugar. We're going to talk about Anthony's promise to eat a bug if the job, job wasn't done on time in a segment I'm calling Silly Sales. Well, you know what that means, Nikki. What does it mean, Selena? It means that we'll be back on Thursday, and we'll see you around the bend. Bye.